Hi, everyone. Uh, as you take your seat, uh, I'll just let you know what passages we're going to read today from the Bible in preparation for our sermon. We're going to be reading two passages today. We're going to be reading from Matthew uh, in chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, and 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 31. Would anyone like uh, a Bible from up the back? If you, Charlie's bringing them around, so if you pop your hand up, uh, he will bring you one and you can follow along. Uh, If you do have one of those Bibles, we're on page 787 to start. So let's start in Matthew with um, starting at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, moving across to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, and if you do have one of the Black Bibles, that's on page 924. We are reading from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, and he despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. 
It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mel. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for uh, bringing light that we might know you and understand our world better. Give us open hearts to hear uh, what you're saying to us uh, through your word, uh, that we might become more like Jesus. In his name, amen. Back when I was at uni, uh, I'm walking into a biology lab class, and I sit down and the demonstrator up the front is showing us some leaves under a microscope pointing out the different features. This is where they take in the carbon dioxide to do their photosynthesis. And it's a little bit inefficient. Here are some of the problems. And then she says, and that just goes to show that there is no intelligence behind evolution. It proves that if there was a God, uh, he wouldn't have created leaves like this. Oh. I was uh, a bit shocked for a start. I didn't uh, expect there to be talk of God in my science class. And I didn't expect to be told in front of 50 of my peers uh, that my faith in God had been disproved by biology. I I didn't know what to say, and so I didn't say anything. (laughs) Um, But perhaps I shouldn't have been surprised, right? Because hasn't science squeezed out God? It's a common view that science and Christianity are at odds. Science is based on reason and evidence and scepticism. Christianity, uh, religion in general, but especially Christianity, is all about faith and closing off your mind. So the story goes. And it's not just scientists and atheists that propagate this story. Christians do too. Whether it's debates over creation and evolution. uh, More recently, during anti-vaccine protests, uh, where we saw signs that said, the blood of Jesus is my vaccine. Uh, Christians have been in opposition to science. I remember talking to a sceptical friend back when Scott Morrison was Prime Minister. He told me how worried he was that a Pentecostal Christian who believed in miracles was the leader of our country. He was worried that Morrison uh, would not uh, follow evidence and reason in his decisions. Some of us Christians have set up our faith in opposition to science. I'm not talking about Morrison specifically, but some of us Christians have done this. And so we've gained a reputation for being anti-science. But is this this true, or is it just a caricature? Does it reflect the true nature of Christian faith and the true nature of science? Are they fundamentally in opposition or is there more to it? Uh, To put it a bit more pointedly, perhaps, do we have to choose between science and faith like my biology teacher made out? Or can they complement each other uh, like so many other branches of knowledge do? I want to argue today that while Christians in certain times and certain places have opposed scientific endeavours, Uh, It's simply not true that Christianity is anti-science. And we can see that by looking at the Bible and Christian theology and also by looking at at history, at some of the history of science. But I also want to say, if you're here today and you're uh, you're committed to science, 
Uh, Perhaps you're skeptical about the claims of Jesus. I want to encourage you to actually think again about Jesus because there is evidence for his life and death and resurrection. And he offers a greater wisdom, a fuller understanding of yourself and the world than science could ever hope to offer. So before we jump into it, uh, what do we mean by science? Uh, it's, a, it's a disputed question, as you can imagine. It's not actually a scientific question, when you stop and think about it. Uh, there's a whole field devoted to the history and philosophy of science, but it tends not to be part of the science faculty as much as the, the philosophy department. So there are debates, but in broad terms we can say science is about testing falsifiable claims claims that we could prove false through observation of the natural world and repeatable experiments. And this method, the scientific method, has led to incredible growth in human flourishing. Uh, Whether it's heart transplants or fertilizers or aeroplanes, science and the development of technology uh, that's been enabled by science uh, has had a profoundly positive impact on human life. So is this in conflict with with Christianity? Is studying the world around us to test our ideas in a systematic way, is that in conflict with Christian faith? What does Jesus have to say about this? In our passage that Mel read for us from Matthew, Jesus is recorded by the historian as saying in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? And why? Why does he say not to worry? What reason does he give? Because thus says the Lord? No, he says, look at the birds of the air. Study animal behavior. And again, a little later, he says, see how the flowers of the field grow. Do some botany. You'll learn something about God as you look at the world around you. Not, not everything about God, but something. He's, Jesus is saying that you can see God's generosity and how he provides what we need. And that seeing God's generosity in the world around us ought to help us not to worry about our future. And this is not an isolated example through the scriptures. Let me give you a few more. Uh, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, Adam's first task from God is to name the animals, to to catalogue the species, exactly what a scientist who encounters a new species today would do. Another example, uh, in Deuteronomy, God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He's telling them how great the promised land is that he's taking them to. He talks about milk and honey, famously. He talks about lots of wheat and barley and fruit, food for everyone. Then he says, it's a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. That's Deuteronomy 8.9. It's an invitation to develop mining and refining, to, to innovate new technology out of copper and iron. God has built into this world possibilities and potential that require human effort and ingenuity to develop. He expects his people to develop technology. A couple more, King Solomon Uh, the most glorious king of ancient Israel in a worldly sense. Uh, We're told that he gave talks on plants and animals and birds in 1 Kings 4. He's described as being very wise. 
Of course, science as we know it hadn't been invented back then, but he clearly has this interest in the natural world and a knowledge of it uh, that he's sharing. Finally, in the New Testament, as the apostles and other followers of Jesus begin to proclaim him as the Messiah, they don't go around saying to people, Jesus is the Lord, you just have to believe it. What they do say is, he gave us many convincing proofs that he had risen from the dead. They present their eyewitness accounts as evidence for the resurrection of Jesus to back up their claims that he's the Lord and Saviour. Now, we might be dissatisfied that God allowed them to be eyewitnesses and not us, that this happened in a pre-scientific age, but that's how history works. We weren't there. So if we want to know what's true in a historical sense, well, we can't do an experiment on it ourselves, can we? What we can do is read the testimony and the documents from those who are there. And if you're wondering about whether Jesus rose from the dead, that's what you need to do. Read the gospel accounts of his life. They're the the earliest accounts that we have. They're based on the testimony of eyewitnesses. They're at least as trustworthy as any historical document we have from the time. Decide for yourself. Now, as we look through the Bible, we don't see opposition between faith in God and investigating the natural world. We don't see God's people told to ignore the world that's, been, that, that's around them or to escape from it. We don't see them told to suspend their intelligence. Rather, God says, I have made this world for you. To enjoy, to understand, to learn to flourish in. And so we shouldn't be surprised if we perhaps discover some of God's fingerprints on it. If we see some evidence of his character in what he's made. Just like an artwork might give us some insights into the artist and into the artist's character. It's not the same as knowing them personally, but we can learn something. Both the Bible and Christian theology refute the idea that there's a contradiction between science and faith. Then what if we look through history? Well, through history we see a litany of Christians who have investigated God's world. Uh, In fact, many Christians were leaders in the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution in Europe. Uh, Galileo is sometimes held up as an example of the conflict uh, between science and faith when the papacy opposed his views of the solar system about the, the earth orbiting the sun. The problem is it doesn't really fit the narrative. Without wanting to defend the actions of the papacy, Galileo himself was a Christian. And the views that the papacy held were actually more informed by Aristotle than by the Bible. Francis Bacon, who was influential in establishing the scientific method, was also a devout Anglican. Both before and after the beginnings of modern science, there's a long track record of Christians, um, both men and women, valuing education and knowledge. And not only knowledge of God and the Scriptures, but also the best of secular knowledge about the world. You're probably aware Christians also have a strong history of healthcare, using the best insights of medicine to care for the vulnerable and the sick. 
we can reasonably claim that Christians invented the public school, the university and the hospital. And even today, many eminent scientists are Christians. Perhaps most famously, Francis Collins, who led the work of cataloguing human DNA. Also, Graham Clark, the Australian inventor of the the multi-channel bionic ear implant. There are other lesser-known figures, uh, like Katherine Johnson. Uh, She was a black American woman from West Virginia. She excelled in mathematics, had to move to be able to continue attending school. She became one of the key mathematicians for NASA, uh, helping them as they began to send people into space, eventually to the moon. She's one of the leading characters in the 2016 movie Hidden Figures, uh, which you might have seen. She was a long-term member of her Presbyterian church. So yes, uh, there are Christians who've opposed science, uh, particularly in the US, that seems to be a, a kind of cultural phenomenon, more so than in other countries. And yet we can also say that there are no shortage of scientists who are Christians. And in fact, they're often driven to pursue science because of their Christian convictions, not in spite of their Christian faith. They see science as helping them to serve others and to glorify God. So I think it's a misreading of Christianity, both uh, biblically and historically, to present it as anti-science. Let's shift focus, though, for a moment. What about science? Right? Is science itself anti-Christian? Because that would almost amount to the same thing. If science was anti-Christian, then almost by default, Christians would have to be anti-science, right? Does science reject Christianity? And certainly some would say so. You might have heard the famous Richard Dawkins quote, that the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. I must admit, though, that the work of Dawkins and other new atheists feels a little dated these days because Christians, in response, have pointed out that modern science actually rests on Christian foundations. Now, I know that's a a big claim. Uh, Let me uh, explain what I mean. If science is all about investigating the world through these repeatable, observable experiments then what confidence do we have that the universe is sufficiently regular that we should expect things to be repeatable? What confidence can we have in our observations? Can we trust our senses and our minds? Are they reliable guides to what's true? Because if you don't think that the world is regular and ordered, that what happens today is consistent with what happens tomorrow then why bother trying to create uh, repeatable, ordered experiments? This was a problem in the ancient world because they didn't think that the world was ordered and regular. They thought it was governed by capricious, conflicting gods. You could think about Zeus or Venus or Thor. Right? They were jealous and volatile. There was no predicting what they might do. And so if a storm sprang up while you were sailing, it wasn't because a cold front was blowing in. Right? It was because Poseidon was grumpy and you hadn't appeased him. The world wasn't predictable and ordered. But Christians said no. The God who rules over all is not 
capricious like that. He doesn't need to be appeased. He sends his reign on the just and the unjust, to quote from Jesus. He's rational, and so the world that he's created reflects that order. And they said, and this point also is crucial, they said humans are created in his image. We share, to some extent, his rationality. So our minds and senses can grasp the order that he's embedded in the natural world. Christian faith gave people the necessary foundations to pursue science. And more than that, uh, in another way, it was critical. Because the Bible says that we're fallen. We're not perfect reasoners. right? We can't just sit in our armchairs and think our way to truth. We can't do that without help. We're biased. We come up with lots of ideas. Some might be true, some are not. And so we need to test these ideas. We can't totally trust our minds. We have to test our ideas against the world around us. So you see, even the Christian doctrine of universal sinfulness, that we all fall short of God's perfection, Even that helped to kickstart modern science, the need for experimentation. So I'm making the case that modern science rests on Christian foundations. I'm not saying that atheists can't be great scientists. Many are. There might even be other ways to justify science. But historically, science as we know it sprang up in Christian Europe with Christian foundations. Even though... uh, Other places in the world like China and Islamic cultures also valued learning and knowledge and technology. Okay, but this is all in the past, right? This is history. Surely today, science doesn't need Christianity. Just like Darwin's theory of natural selection uh, removed the need for creation, so science everywhere is removing or perhaps has removed the need for God. And this could be true if science and Christianity were trying to do the same job. But they're not. At a a fundamental level, science is trying to tell us how. How the world works mechanically. It's not trying to tell us what should be. It's not trying to tell us why not trying to give us the meaning of what we observe. Uh, Professor John Lennox, uh, a mathematician from Oxford, talks about a kettle boiling. If you want to know why the kettle is boiling, uh, well, there are two possible answers. Uh, One answer is that the kettle is boiling, as I learned in my physics degree and helped students to learn as a science teacher. The kettle is boiling because electrical energy is being converted into heat energy. It's exciting the water molecules. And when it gets up to 100 degrees, water boils. That's the scientific answer, and that's true. Right? The other answer to why the kettle is boiling is that I don't like coffee, and so I want a cup of tea. (laughs) Right? That's also true. It doesn't discount the scientific answer, but it's the purpose of the kettle boiling. It's the meaning behind it. It's not the science. That's what Christian faith offers. When you wonder, why am I alive? 
There's a scientific answer about reproduction and oxygen and H2O and making sure you eat your greens, right? And that's true. But I don't think that's your question, is it? What's your purpose? What's the meaning of your life? Only Jesus can tell you that. Rebecca McLaughlin, who we heard from last week in her book, Confronting Christianity, she says that science and Christianity are like the two hands in a piano sonata. Right? They're not in competition, even though occasionally they touch on the same notes. Rather, they combine and work together. Science is good, but it can't tell you what you're for, can't tell you what you should value. Even if you say there is no bigger purpose in life, that we should all just do what makes most people happy, well, why is that the barometer? Science can't justify that for us. Science can't tell us what to value. And we all need answers to these deeper questions of meaning and purpose. Christianity doesn't dispute, as Dr. House would put it, uh, that we're all just bags of cells and waste with an expiration date. The, the Bible agrees in its own way. It says we're dust even. But it also says we're more than that. We're not just cells and waste. We're not just atoms and molecules. We have dignity and value and purpose and worth. And we have it because we're atoms and molecules fashioned by God to bear His image. That's why you can't treat a human like you treat any other bag of waste, right? Or even like a plant or a tool. Now, science needs Christianity. It's not antithetical. So yes, we Christians ought to give thanks for science. Appreciate the insights it's gained. Freely pursue a career in science if that's where you think God is calling, as many have. And those who value science, I would say, ought to investigate Christian faith. In fact, our second reading from today lays down a challenge for all those who value wisdom and, and power. And I think we can see science, actually, as a, a type of wisdom, a part of this wisdom. And technology certainly uh, offers power. It, it uh, it grows our power to do things. To those who value wisdom and power, the Apostle Paul says that the message of the cross, this is the Christian message that the Saviour of the world was crucified 2,000 years ago. This message sounds like foolishness and weakness. It's ludicrous. Why would anyone who values knowledge and insight take a second glance at the criminal suffering the supreme punishment? Why would anyone who values power and capability think twice about a man rendered helpless and killed? It makes no sense, scientific or otherwise, to proclaim a crucified saviour, an almighty who suffers death. It's illogical. And certainly there are lots today who've dismissed Jesus as foolish and futile. And yet... If you look more closely, if you accept that your innate reasoning about the world might sometimes be flawed, 
if you accept that some things worth discovering require effort and investigation, if you're willing to look in the most unlikely place, you'll find a greater wisdom, a truer power than you could ever imagine. You'll find in Christ the wisdom of God and the power of God that that far exceeds human wisdom and power, though it looks like foolish weakness. And God says that's entirely deliberate that it looks like foolish weakness. God hasn't made it so that you need a science degree to find your meaning and purpose in Jesus. You don't need to be a biologist to trust that God made the universe. Whether it took six days or 14 billion years, in fact, there were even ancient theologians like Augustine, uh, 1400 years before Darwin, who were pondering whether the six days is a metaphor. You don't need to be a biologist to trust that God made the world, though a scientist can trust that too. You don't need to be a professor to understand that we've rejected God and His purpose for us, that our greed and selfishness have wrought havoc on our world, though a professor can grasp that too, I think. You don't need a Nobel Prize to realise that God's offer of forgiveness and love in Christ is exactly what we need. For every person with a doctorate who comes to Christ, and I know there are some in our community here, there are far more unschooled, far more with limited education, with intellectual disabilities, who place their trust in Him. Because trusting in Christ doesn't mean mastering Him, like you can master a field of science. Nor does it mean blinding yourself to the evidence. It means depending on Jesus for what even science can't offer. Forgiveness of your sins. A restored relationship with your Creator. The true meaning and purpose of your life. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this world that we inhabit and thank you for the many men and women who have investigated it, revealed more of how it works, that we might not only bless and serve one another better, but might see more of your creative goodness in all that you've made. And Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us, not only in the world around us, but particularly through your Son. Thank you for doing that. Thank you that Jesus came, that he died and rose again, that we might be restored and reconciled to you and live as your people in this world to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.